following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. In this passage, uh, Jesus uses two words to describe anxiety and worry. Uh, and it's helpful to understand what, what, what Jesus meant by this. What is anxiety? Uh, the first word that's translated anxiety is um, the Greek word that can be both positive and negative. Like in English, there's not too many contexts where anxiety would be considered a positive, a positive word, right? That's mostly a negative con- connotation. But in Greek, it actually could have a, a positive connotation. And, and it, it's used positively was to care for or look out for or provide for something. So it's the idea of being concerned about our daily needs and doing something to care for ourselves. That's the positive use of this word. Uh, But negatively, it's the idea of being anxious, of being troubled with those cares. So it's the idea that uh, we we are concerned about our cares, the day caring for ourselves. But when the concern for that is excessive, when we are... um, we, we obsess about them when we are worried about them. And it's no longer just healthy care for ourselves, but it's worried care. Then it becomes the, the idea of anxiety and a negative concept. Um, the other word from verse 29, which is translated worried, is a great word. Uh, and it literally is, it means to be lifted up. Uh, and you may think, well, I, I don't get where worried is being lifted up. Well, it comes from a word picture and it was a, a word that would be used for a, a, a sailing ship out on the deep sea. So it's out there. It's being lifted up on the oceans. Uh, and, and the word picture comes when, when, the, when a storm comes and, the, and the, the ship gets tossed up by the waves. It's lifted up by the waves. And so it's, it became a word picture to express worry. A person who's sailing through troubled waters where the sea is tossing them and the waves are lifting up their ship, and they're feeling threatened and in danger and at risk, right? So, so that's what he's talking about here. And, and um, Jesus says plainly, as disciples and followers of Christ, you are not to be worried or anxious about even the most basic fundamental needs in your life, like food and drink or sound systems that don't work. Hello? There we go. We still there? Which is my constant source of anxiety, right? Um, we're not to worry about these things uh, because um, that's not the call of a disciple. So how do we do that? How do we just eject worry and anxiety and fear? Um, well, let's look at what Jesus says. We're going to actually have, as I said, we can't cover it all this morning uh, which is unfortunate because it's going to leave you kind of hanging. But, but stick with me till next Sunday and we get the full picture. But let's start looking at what Jesus is talking about here. And uh, he does say, and it's a command, it's an imperative. He says, don't worry. Uh, do not be anxious. Do not let these concerns about daily life trouble you. Um, okay, easy. I just won't do that anymore, right? If it were only that simple. Um, where, where does this worry come from? Well, the picture is, uh, if you look at the, the picture of the sailing, you know, 
Uh, if you'll notice in this picture, this, the, the waters are quite calm. It's not a storm. It's a peaceful sea. It's serene. It's not troubled waters, right? But this is how worry works. Worry looks ahead to the horizon and looks at those big storm clouds ahead. And worry gets uh, consumed with fear about the future, right? What's on the other side of the horizon? What will those storm clouds bring? And it's focused on the future, and it's focused about all the things that could go wrong in the future. Like today, you know, we had breakfast and we had food, and uh, you have a house. You know, you didn't wake up in the night and your house hadn't fallen down, and none of you showed up this morning mostly naked. Super thankful for that, right? So today things are okay, but uh, what about tomorrow? What does the future hold? Um, and, and so the focus that Jesus is talking about here is our concern, our worry about the future, about the uncertainty of things that could happen uh, that could unravel our life. Uh, now, it's important to see what Jesus is not saying here. He is not saying here that uh, we, we don't need to, to work or do things to take care of ourselves. He's not advocating here, for example, the life of a, of a monk who gives up his job, gives up his career, gives up all of his possessions. And, and not, that, uh, not that that does not have value, but Jesus is not necessarily teaching that here. He's not saying uh, that you should never be taking care of yourself. Um, the farmer should plant. The par- farmer should prepare his field. The, par- the farmer should sow the seed and water it and take care of the weeds. And the farmer needs to go out and needs to harvest the crop. Uh, Jesus is not saying here, you don't have to do all those things because grain is just going to fall from the sky on you, right? He's not saying that. Uh, But he's talking about the worry about things that could happen in the future. Uh, He's not talking to laborers and saying, and workers saying, don't don't go to your jobs anymore. Don't go out and earn wages. He's not saying to the business person, you know, stop manufacturing your product and working to sell it and market it and, and make profit. He's not saying that. Uh, he's not saying to missionaries, you don't need to raise support anymore. You don't need to write support letters or visit churches or do all the things you do to build your support team. He's, he's not saying that uh, we should check out of all that and write all the supporters and say, please stop supporting me because I'm going to start living by faith now. Right. Not what he's saying. Um, we should do what we can do that is in our control to care for ourselves. But what Jesus is focused on here are those things that are beyond our control about which we worry and obsess. Uh, Verse 25, he says this, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Uh, There's some translation issues with this verse. Your your translation might might say, uh, add a, a cubit to his stature. Uh, the Greek is a little unvague, um, and it could go either way. The, the main reason to argue for an hour to your lifespan is that adding 18 inches to my stature would be no small thing. I would be six and a half, seven and a half feet tall, right? That's not a little thing. That would be kind of a big thing. But if I live to be 75 or 80 years old, adding one hour to that uh, 80 years of life is an insignificant thing. Um, and so... So he says, don't, he says, don't worry about things beyond your control. Uh, and anxiety is all about the what-ifs, right? 
what if the world comes to an end, right? What if the sky falls, chicken little, right? Um, what if things that I have no control over but that I see coming on the horizon actually occur? Uh, and, and these could be real threats, right? They could be not just imaginary things, but real things that could happen to us. Um, the farmer could worry about drought. Uh, he could worry about uh, bugs coming and eating his crop. He could worry actually about floods. Uh, he could worry about people stealing or burning his crops. Uh, the laborer, the worker could worry about job layoffs and cutbacks, um, about getting fired, right? Uh, the business owner could worry about a downturn in the economy or a competitor that makes a better, better product and people no longer want to buy your product. Um, missionaries, what can missionaries worry about, right? We live on support. We live by faith. There's no worry there, right? We never worry that, like, our most wealthy, you know, generous supporter could, like, retire and decide he doesn't have money to support us anymore. I had that happen. Uh, we could worry that our main supporting church gets a new missions pastor who decides, you know, they're not supporting Asia anymore. They're going to focus on, you know, strategically. They're going to be strategic, and you're not strategic anymore. So they're going to cut your support. Right? Anybody fear those things? Worry about those things? Worry that the economy in your home country will cause uh, you to lose support. Worst thing that could ever happen, you know, your, your main supporting church decides to get into a building project, right? and it's over for you, right? Because you're not a lobby and you're not carpet, so you get cut. Right? Are there things that we could worry about? What ifs? Yes, there are. Can we control any of those things? Jesus says you can't even add one hour to your life. Right? You cannot add one hour to your life. Now, I love, if you, if you search on, on uh, the Internet, live longer, uh, we think we can, right? And you can read all kinds of articles. There's all kinds of suggestions about how you can live longer. And you need to exercise more. You need to stop being such lazy, gluttonous people. You need to get out there and run marathons and super marathons. And you need to start eating, like, lots of carrots. Because apparently carrots make you live forever, right? And stop eating all the stuff you like, right? And basically, if you sacrifice enough, you could live longer. Right? I, I found this one. I find this one. This, this was like made my day. Coffee drinkers live longer. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Your morning cup of coffee may start to taste even better after a major government study found that frequent coffee drinkers have a lower risk of dying from a variety of diseases compared with people who drink little or no coffee. According to a study from the New England Journal of Medicine. Wow, this is like legit, right? Wow, so there you go. Now, what I love about this, so coffee can make you live longer. However, I found another study that said <laughs> coffee is a prime cause of anxiety, right? So you live longer, but you're more anxious, right? So what do you do, you know? Um, and the truth is, you know, you could be ultra marathoner, you know, sacrifice ice cream and all that good stuff and just live on carrots for life and be super, super healthy and on your morning jog get run over by a car and die. And then you just wasted it all. You just wasted all those carrots are just wasted, right? 
you can't really do anything to guarantee or extend your life even one hour, right? You can't. Uh, you cannot control the economy. You cannot control terrorists. You cannot control uh, the spread of Ebola. Uh, you cannot control uh, what churches and pastors may do to cut your support. Uh, you cannot prevent um, a lot of things from happening, right? The future is full of what-ifs, and most of them are things you have zero control over. So Jesus says, why are you wasting so much energy worrying about things you can do nothing about? Right? Why? Right? Uh, it, it's, it's not helpful, uh, and it's, in fact, destructive, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, and this is a universal problem. This is not something that only a few people deal with. Jesus says that this is universal, that people around the globe uh, have fears and anxieties and worries about uh, the basic survival of their life. Uh, he says it this way in verse 29, Do not seek uh, what you are to eat or drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Okay, this is this is part of what it is to be human, um, because we're we're smart and we 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 observe cause and effect relationships. We get that when certain things happen, it's perilous to our life, and so man from uh, from all time has been trying to mitigate or reduce the risk of future threats by doing what? Well, we put huge amounts of energy driven by our anxiety and worry into building safety nets, building things that, that will make our life more secure and safe. Um, and it's not that we're worried that tomorrow we're going to starve to death, but behind all of these layers and layers of things we do to build security in our life is that very thing, right? There is this dread deep inside of every human being that someday, you know, if my supporters all drop me or if I lose my job or if the economy tanks, I could end up living out uh, homeless on the street, uh, digging through trash for my next meal. Right? And so much of what motivates our choices and our actions in our life is building in security, buffers, contingencies, whatever you want to call it, backup plans, to make sure we don't ever end up in that spot. So we seek things like job security. Right? What is job security about? Well, it's saying... You know, as long as I don't lose my job, I'm covered. But if I ever lose my job, I'm in trouble. Uh, we buy insurance policies and more insurance policies and bigger insurance policies, and we insure everything so that we can mitigate the risk of what if something bad happens. Uh, that's, what, that's what's behind a lot of labor unions, protecting jobs and protecting uh, their, their pay uh, we set up pensions funds and retirement funds and savings accounts and contingency funds, right? What is all of that about? Well, it's buffering myself. It's building layers of security to make sure I never starve to death, right? Uh, and it seems so much a part of our modern society that it's unthinkable to do otherwise. In fact, if you don't have those things, you're considered to be unwise and foolish, right? Uh, in fact, you're oftentimes accused even by Christians of being a bad steward because you don't have all of these safety nets. Uh, 
we expect government to help with this. Uh, so governments provide programs that, like social welfare programs or social security or government-backed insurance programs that ensures the money we put in the bank. Right? Most countries have those. So that you can be confident the money you put in your, the bank is, is, is covered. Right? So back in the, in the 30s during the Depression when you know, the banks ran out of money, we, we made up plans to make sure that never happens again. Because if the bank loses your money, you could end up you know, without a meal. So that fear drives tons of what we do and how we organize and order and arrange our life. Uh, and Christians and mission organizations are not exempt to this, right? Uh, how many policies in your organization, your Christian ministry, your organization, is honestly just safety nets, right? Um, and here's the, here's the irony of it all. The, 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 the simple truth is Jesus would not get would not be allowed in most, if not all, mission organizations, right? Because the whole, like, Jesus, you know, like, well, I'm not raising support, you know? My support level is zero. And it'd be like, well, sorry, you know, we have no place for people like you, right? Is there a problem with that, right? If we could not bring Jesus into our organization, there might be a problem with our organization. I'm just saying, right? Now, I'm not saying that we need to all live like Jesus, and Jesus, we'll see, is not necessarily teaching that. But we've got to think through what drives much of what we do, right? And with mission organizations, it's become a huge problem because we can't send people to the field anymore because our safety nets have got so cumbersome they're dragging us to the bottom of the ocean, right, in our safety nets, right? And we cannot mobilize people for ministry anymore because of the ridiculous requirements we have. Yes, they are ridiculous, right? Jesus would say they are ridiculous. He says, don't worry about those things. Right? I'll let you work out with your mission leaders how you want to negotiate that, right? You just tell them what Tim said, right? I'm sure they'll go far. Um, and, and the problem is that what drives that, right, what's behind all of that is fear, right? The reason we have these policies and these these programs and all this stuff is we are fearful that someday we're going to end up being stripped of everything we have and we're not going to be able to have food to eat, right? And that uh, is, is a core anxiety that every human being fears, right? Um, well, how important is this, right? Is this just kind of a minor thing? Can we say, well, you know, this is kind of the way it is, and Jesus himself admitted that it's a, a universal human problem. And so it's something we're all just going to kind of deal with. And it's really not that big of a deal. And, you know, like if you become super spiritual and you can overcome anxiety, good for you. Uh, but for the rest of us, you know, it's just one of those not really all that important things. Well, I think Jesus would say it's of critical and vital importance. Right? He's saying this to his disciples because he recognizes that... Um, if they don't deal with this, they will get bogged down in a quagmire of worry that they will not be able to escape from. Um, it is a huge problem in our life if we do not conquer this fear and this worry and anxiety and learn to live as Jesus commanded here, as people who do not worry, who do not worry 
who do not have a care or concern about even the most basic needs of survival. And it's essential that we come to this place if we are to follow Christ and be his disciple. Um, why? Well, let me give you an illustration on my own life. Uh, 13 years ago, um, I'm not sure, you know, do the math. 9-11 anyway, however long ago that was, 9-11 uh, on the day that changed the world, really, when, when these crazy people flew airplanes into the, into the World Trade Center, um, it, it sent shockwaves around the world. And everything that people, especially paranoid people, feared could happen was proven on that day. Right? So it's not only just a potential threat, but now, all of a sudden, the world is really a dangerous place. And there are crazy people out there who would go to ridiculous extremes to kill us. Uh, and so people, especially in the West, became very paranoid, very worried. And, uh, and if you remember back, wherever you were living at that time, uh, it was kind of like the end of the world. And people were wondering, you know, what should I do about my life? What is safe? Uh, it was just a very few months after that when God called us to come to Thailand. And uh, so we began pursuing that course of action and and taking steps to come to Thailand. And everywhere we went, this was the question. Well, it wasn't really a question. It was, it was kind of more of a threat. You're going to Thailand now? Don't you know the world is a dangerous place? You will die there because there's terrorists everywhere. And if you go there, you're just going to die. And people thought we were, we were insane to, to leave the safety of American soil. It's like, yeah, they're not shooting at Thailand. They're shooting at America. What's safe about here? Right? You're, you're crazy for staying, right? Uh, but people were, were, were just horrified that we would do something so crazy, right? Because they were uh, being driven by this fear right, to protect themselves and to do what was reasonable and sane. Um, we had kind of another story, not, nothing, nothing to do with 9-11. We had another guy who had been uh, in Asia, in Vietnam during the Vietnam War, and he knew that there were huge cobras here. And I mean, this guy was dead serious. He, he would tell us, you're going to go to Thailand and get bit by a snake and die. And it's like he was convinced we wouldn't make it past the first year because we were going to get bit by some poisonous snake. You know, It's like, why would you do that to yourself? Why, why would you do that? Right? Well, that's the, the danger and, and problem of anxiety and worry. It has incredible influence in how we think about life and how we make choices. And when we are driven by worry and anxiety and fear, we will arrange our life around one single goal, and that is to stay safe, to build those buffer zones and those contingency plans and to build that safety net that will guarantee our life. Right? And the things that Jesus calls us to don't fit in that mold, Right? Jesus calls us to uh, take up our cross. <laughs> Jesus calls us to a life where we willingly, daily, live our life towards death, oriented towards death. Right? Jesus says, yeah, you could die, but that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, right? right? That's the orientation of a, of a, of a disciple. Right? It is not one of protection. It is one of taking on fully the threats and the risks 
of, of a life following Christ. And Jesus says it will not be safe. It will not be easy. Okay? Um, and, and so if we are going to do God's will, if we are going to hear God's voice and follow him to crazy places in the world and to crazy things, uh, we have got to get out of the quagmire of worry. Because it will suck us in and hold us firmly rooted to the values and priorities of this world and will prevent us from following the priorities and values of Christ. Uh, just a great visual picture of this. And I know this is kind of de- deviating from the sailing picture, but let me just go from sailing to a mud bog, right? Bog down comes from the idea of getting stuck in a bog. You know what a bog is? I didn't know this, but apparently they have mud bogging competitions now where they create these big mud pits and race cars through them. Um, a mud bog is just a, a patch of ground that's saturated with water uh, that cannot hold something heavy anymore. Uh, several years, many, many years ago now, uh, I was working at this Bible camp where I worked, and um, we had installed our own central water system that was constantly breaking because it wasn't quite engineered properly at first. And so we'd had yet again a, a break in the water line. And so me and my friend, co-worker, went out to fix it. So we dug this trench out with a, a track hoe, a, a digging machine, and uh, got down and we fixed the, the pipe. And we uh, needed to fill the trench back in. The problem was that it had leaked out thousands and thousands of gallons of water. And it made all the ground, especially in the, the old ditch, uh, like soup, right? The, the, the dirt was just turned to a mud bog, right? So my friend told me, uh, be really careful that you don't get too close and you don't get in the ditch. Because if you do, you know, you're going to sink in that mud. So I was in one tractor being very careful, pushing dirt in, and he was in the other tractor being very careful. But he got the, the tractor turned sideways and got one of the tracks in that old ditch, and he started to get stuck. Now, it's really hard to get a track hose stuck because it's got a bucket on the front and a big hoe on the end, and the hydraulics of that can pick up the whole tractor. So, you know, if you, if you do it right, you just pick the tractor up and kind of edge it out of the hole. Well, as he tried to pick it up, it just it just plunged the front of the tractor deeper into this mud pit. And he started kind of rocking it back and forth. And the more he tried to get it out, what happens? Well, it just, it just sinks it deeper and deeper until, no kidding, like the radiator cap was sticking out of the mud. I mean, he buried this tractor, buried, right? And uh, we tried to get it out with some other equipment, and it was a mess. It was just a disaster, right? Uh, that's what worry will do to you, right? And the more you battle against it, the more it sucks you in. Uh, and you will not be able to do God's will if you don't deal with this because you will be mired in this worldview that I have to protect myself, I have to live safe, I have to uh, do what seems wise by the world, and you cannot follow God's will. So what do we do with this? Well, next we're going to look at more of the practical illustrations as Jesus teaches how we battle it. Uh, but let me just give one uh, one application uh, this morning. Uh, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or your body about what you will put on. Okay, Jesus commands us, We are to turn away 
from anxiety and worry. For this life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. For all of the nations seek after these things. Okay, so it's the way of the world. It's the way the world thinks. It's the advice the world will give you. And we are to willfully and with determination turn away from that advice and that counsel, right, that says you need these safety nets. Jesus says it again in verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. The word seek there has the idea of crave after, long after, worry about, right? Don't pursue, don't make the energy and focus of your life to, to worry about your basic daily needs, right? You don't have to think about it, right? And we are to turn away from that. Um, and I think what Jesus is saying here, um, well, let me give one more, one more scripture. He says this in verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Right? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, the whole turning away from worry, that's like one thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I'll just stop worrying. Will you sell your possessions? Okay, this kind of takes it to a whole other level, right? It's like, can't I just take some kind of like anti-anxiety drugs? Uh, this whole selling things off. Now, that takes it to a whole different realm, right? What does Jesus mean by this? Um, as I said, I do not believe he's calling us all necessarily to a life as a monk where we sell everything, uh, including our home and all of our clothes, and we live like Jesus did. Now, Jesus may call some of you to that, uh, but if he does, I guarantee you'll be single, either before or after. Um, I don't recommend it for people with families, right? Because your children need like things, okay? like a roof, a house, a bed, right? Um, Jesus is not necessarily calling to this. And in fact, Scripture is very clear that we are to work, right? Uh, Paul says it uh, in Second Thessalonians 3. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, don't let him eat. Right? So Paul says working and eating go hand in hand. So Jesus, you know, Paul would certainly not take what Jesus taught here as saying give up your job. Uh, Paul also says in Ephesians, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So Paul says we should work. We should earn a living. We should care for those things that are in our control. Uh, Take care and manage money as it's in our control and our power to do so. Um, For those in ministry, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Right, so if we're in, even if we're in ministry, unlike what some people would say, we should be able to make a living. Right? Maybe you have churches who say otherwise, but um, it's legitimate and fair that we raise support, that we seek uh, supporters that we do the things that we should do to care for our daily needs, um, but we're not to worry about it. We're not to c- obsess and um, fret over it and 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 be anxious about it. Right? We're to take care of what we can take care of and leave the rest to God. Uh, so so what are we? What's the selling possessions about? Okay, you're hoping I forgot that. So he says, sell your possessions. Sell your possessions. 
Uh, I don't think he's meaning necessarily the house you're living in. I don't think he means, you know, to go down to destitute poverty. But the truth and the reality is that all of us have abundance. We all have way more than we need. And, and the truth is that a lot of our abundance is a safety net, right? A lot of what we carry around with us and hold on to, we carry to keep the threat of this, this risk at a safe distance. And I think Jesus is saying, get rid of those safety nets, right? Sell off those things, simplify and reduce your life to the point where you are no longer trusting in those things, but you are trusting in God alone. I, I call it, since we're using a sailing metaphor, ditching the lifeboat. There's a great story in Acts 21, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 27, where Paul is on his way to Rome. You remember the story? And they hit really bad storms for several weeks on end. And uh, it's, it's looking really bad. They've jettisoned all the cargo. They finally jettisoned all the food. They're pretty sure they're going to die, right? And, uh, and Paul says this in, verse, in chapter 27. He says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete. <laughs> I love a guy who says, I told you so. Um, but I now urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When 14 nights had come and gone, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors, okay, not the whole crew, just the sailors, the ship's crew, were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's lifeboat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut away the ropes and let the ship's lifeboat go. Okay, get the picture? So they're about to hit land, uh, and the sailors see the, 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 the ship being driven onto the rocks. And so to save their own life and let the 200-some passengers who are with them die, they are going to sneak away in the ship's lifeboat. And Paul sees what's going on, and he catches wind, and he tells the, the Roman soldiers, the only people who are guaranteed safety are the ones who are on this ship, Right? God promised he would take care of us. If you trust God, he will watch over you. If you don't trust God and you leave the ship, you will die. So I love this. The, soldiers, the Roman soldiers unanimously, uh, unilaterally decide, oh, we're going to trust God, and they cut the lifeboat, right? And whether you want to or not, you're trusting God, right? No other escape route, no safety net, no lifeboat. Right? I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, cut the, cut the line to the lifeboats in your life. Because those things prevent you from really trusting God. From really having confidence and really living out this principle 
that you don't have to worry about these things because God is going to take care of you. Now, the, the great reality is that many of you, maybe most of you, are here because you've done that to some extent. You've cut a lot of lines, right? And you've come when your family and friends told you you were crazy to live in a foreign country and to, and to live by faith, right? Know and be confident that God's promise is sure and certain. He will not let you die. He's promised to take care of you. Right? But uh, you cannot do it if you are still holding on to worry. You can't have one foot in the ship of faith and one foot in the lifeboat of, lifeboat of worry and anxiety. Right? Jesus says, sell your possessions. Uh, in Jesus' day, they didn't have retirement funds and insurance, so the way you would hedge yourself, the way you would protect yourself is you would buy extra land and extra property and extra houses. So if one field gets burned or destroyed, you have a spare. If one house gets damaged or destroyed, you have a backup. Right? Um, we see this in Acts with Barnabas. Right? He sold some land. It wasn't his main land. It was extra land. Right? Uh, Jesus is saying sell off, reduce, minimize your life, get rid of those safety nets. What does that look like in the modern world? Does it mean we shouldn't have health insurance or retirement funds? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that's something you have to work out between you and God. But, but here's the point. What are you trusting in for your daily care and life? And I think Jesus, you, Jesus would say you'd be way better off to have uh, none of that stuff if it's preventing you from truly trusting him and following him and doing his will. You'd be better off to have no retirement plans, no health insurance, and just trust God. Now, I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying I think Jesus would say, if those things are tied up with your worry and anxiety, you would be better off without those things so that you learn what it really means to just trust your life into God's hands. As I said, there's, there's more to this, and, and um, I've, I've left out the best pieces of it for next week uh, because you can't just do this without some assurance of God's care. And next week we're going to look at that, how we can know God will take care of us. But as we close, um, I just ask you to think before God right now, what are you trusting in? What are the safety nets? What are the things you have built into your life as cushions uh, to buffer the anxiety in your life. Right. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.